If you would, take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John. There are Bibles near you in the pew racks if you do not have one. And please turn to John chapter 11. And uh, when you have uh, found John 11, let me encourage you to uh, not only follow as I read, but to keep the Bible open for the message will simply develop the text of God's Word. John 11, I will be reading verses 12 through 17. When you have found your place, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas therefore, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Uh, for the first time since I got here, I've got a lapel mic, and I'm going to have to get used to the cable again. It's been a while. I remember in... Uh, Summer of 1980, I was at the Moody Bible Institute, and Vance Havner, whom uh, I think I agree with Billy Graham that Vance Havner uh, is the most influential preacher of the 20th century. Havner, at uh, that time 79 years old, had to be helped uh, from his chair to the pulpit, and holding on to the pulpit, he had this lapel mic around his neck, and he said, well... I knew I was getting old, but I've never been on a leash before. <laughs> so if I don't uh, tear the wires loose or fall down or do something, Jim, it will have been a success. But uh, I'll be able to move around. You know how hard it is to stand still for 20, 30, 40 minutes, however long it is, as you preach. And now I'll be able uh, to walk uh, without those of you who are awake uh, not being able to hear me. So John 11 we come this morning to consideration of what absolutely must be considered one of the most remarkable and exciting events in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an event full of movement and full of color. Here we see both pathos and power. We see sorrow and joy, and at almost the same time, we see the frailty of humanity and the glory of God. The raising of Lazarus of Bethany from the dead occurred during the last winter of the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, as we begin the chapter, just kind of as an aside before we get into the text, when uh, he is identified, he is identified as Lazarus of Bethany of the village of Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary. Apparently, to the early church, maybe the sisters 
were better known than Lazarus was, at least in an effort to identify them so that people would know who he was, he was identified as their brother. Perhaps he was much younger, or perhaps in the life of the New Testament church, Mary and Martha had uh, become more known and prominent than he. It was also uh, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who later broke the alabaster box of perfume and prepared the body of the Lord Jesus, as he said in advance, for his short stay in the grave. Contained in the description of this great miracle is a miniature of resurrection day which all who have died in the Lord will experience when the trumpet of God sound and the command to rise again comes from him. So let us consider what is merely the shadow of death in John 11, verses 1 through 46. Notice with me, first of all, the sickness in verses 1 through 6. The story is quite familiar to us. Jesus had withdrawn to the area called Perea. Perea was a more isolated uh, area, a, a less densely populated area, a place that was out of the way. Throughout the Gospel of John, we have seen uh, indications that they wanted to put him to death. They wanted to put him in prison. But time after time, the record simply is they did not because his hour had not yet come. And because the time was not right, he was not resisting or afraid or running from his uh, purpose for coming, which was to go to the cross, but he had withdrawn to Perea until the time was right. And one day to that isolated retreat, no doubt a breathless messenger came, someone who had finally located him to tell him that his friend Lazarus was very ill, perhaps at the point of death. You know, surely the sisters of Lazarus thought that the Lord Jesus would come straight back. The distance was not that far. He could have, by uh, walking straight through at his quickest, have been there, no doubt, by the time that Lazarus died. And if he had done as they expected, Lazarus would not have died. They would not have been grieved the last ray of hope that they felt would not have been extinguished and they would not have gone through the agony of the death scene and the sadness of farewell at the grave and the return to the home that was now more empty than it had ever been. You know, some have said that it was unkind of the Lord Jesus to allow them to go through this just in order to demonstrate his deity and to accomplish his purposes. But as we shall see clearly as we go through the passage, he did come in his time, not in theirs, and when he came returning to Judea, coming openly to Bethany only two miles from Jerusalem, 
He came in the face of certain hostility and death because he was, as always, master of the situation and because he was willing to jeopardize his own safety to bring consolation and victory in the face of defeat. His delay was not cruelty, but it was a constructive discipline for all who were affected by it. How different the idea of love was to the Lord Jesus and to the sisters. Perhaps you can relate to their emotion. I think that those of us who believe in the sovereignty of God, which is not my topic, but we do well to remember that if he is not sovereign, he is not God. If there is power that he does not possess, then where is the guarantee that he can deliver on what he has promised? And I think those of us who believe in that God who possesses all power sometimes have a more difficult time than anyone else in coping with the things that life brings, at least initially, because we cannot make peace with the fact that the God who loves us and has all power has allowed it to happen. But how different their idea and ours of love and his was. He stayed where he was for two days before even starting for Bethany. And yet he stayed in order that he would not get there before Lazarus died. And he stayed because he loved them. Only the pure and total love of God would have been able to delay. If Jesus Christ were less than the incarnation of God, he would have gone, gone with great haste and done everything he could to alleviate the sickness and to avoid the sorrow. Because we and our humanity do not know as much as he does, we will always and ever, if we can, avoid the pain, deny the sorrow. But his pure love waited until Lazarus was dead. I don't know about you, but I am certain that I cannot even estimate the debt that I owe to the pain and the sorrow that has come into my life. Where would faith grow without testing, without trial? What meaning would patience have if there were nothing to bear? How would character develop without the fires of experience? The only way to explain this delay is the total mastery of the Lord Jesus Christ over death. Only he knew what the ultimate outcome would be. When he came back to this area, 
he came back and set in motion events that would guarantee his death. His glory was to come through the cross. He, had, he would later pray to the Father, now the time has come that the Son is to be glorified. His glory came through the cross and he had to go to and through that experience in order to be glorified. He knew the cost of helping, of raising his friend from death. He knew the cost, but he was full well willing to pay the cost in order that his friend might live and that the faith of his own disciples and of many others might be made alive. William Barclay said, it would make all the difference in the world if we saw the cross that we have to bear as our glory and our only way to a greater glory still. Surely it is true that we can have no greater glory than suffering for Christ. And surely if we believe what Jesus said, we can be sure that he who takes up his cross and follows Jesus will in the end receive the glory and the crown. I do not understand by any stretch of my imagination everything that I know about the sovereignty of God, about the love of God. But I do know that when we say to him, Lord, the one you love is sick, and he delays until sickness becomes the throes of death and life ceases and hope seems gone forever, then no matter what may come our way, his promise is true from Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Nothing comes into our experience, nothing touches us, nothing afflicts us, nothing damages us that does not come by way of permission from the God who loves us so much that he clothed himself with flesh and died for our sins, that we might live forever. And his promise that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose, is still true today. We see the sickness. We understand the love differently than his perfect understanding. Now notice in verses 7 through 16, the sleep. We have read a number of these verses, but look again beginning with verse 7, and let's read some of this. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? Anyone who walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. They said, therefore, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. By the last winter of his life, every one of those who followed closely the Lord Jesus Christ knew that trouble was coming. I have no doubt that many of them held to a hope that somehow he would ride on his entry into Jerusalem at the proper time into the kingship that somehow he would lead the people in uniting to drive the Roman invaders from the land. Some of them no doubt held that hope, but they all knew that struggle was coming. They had pinned all of their hopes, all of their dreams on him. They had been relieved when they had left Judea and even left Galilee where his life was in jeopardy and now he wants to go there again. They thought that if Lazarus had fallen asleep, that surely he would be recovering from his sickness. But when he affirmed that Lazarus was dead, and he said, let's go, whatever went through their minds, they knew that this was it. And Thomas, the plain-spoken, the honest Thomas, called unfairly doubting Thomas, said to all of the brethren, let's go, if he's going to die, let's die with him. The disciples can scarcely believe that he is willing to go back to Galilee. Obviously, Thomas thought he had flipped out, that he'd gone crazy finally. Jesus explains that the work must be done in a timely way. He tarried for their sakes. I was glad, I'm glad he said that I was not there for your sake that you might believe. The disease had been permitted to run its full course and to snap the life cord that bound Lazarus to life. What he did, he always did for others. There never is a time recorded for us in the Scripture when the Lord Jesus did anything for himself. He demonstrated obvious and continuing concern for those who were sick, for those who were hungry, for those who were lost in sin, in the darkness that it brings. He demonstrated a never-ending concern that he do the will of the Father, but he never did it for himself. He waited because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples, and now he will go for the same reason, because he loves them. Notice in verses 17 through 29, here we read about the sisters. To them, as Lazarus died, was prepared and buried quickly that day, Jesus had to have seemed 
neglectful at best. But he was not. And when he comes to their home, what he finds is a family faced with death, groping in darkness, filled with despair. And over against that, we see the Lord of life walking by the light that the Father had given him. In Palestine of that day and of today, because of the climate, burial took place as soon as possible. The body would be prepared. They would carry it to the gravesite where sometimes scripture was read, memorial speeches might be made, and the body would be buried out of sight. It is interesting that the Orthodox and conservative Jews to this day do not embalm because of their doctrine of the resurrection. They think that somehow the process of embalming would interfere with the resurrection. For that reason, they do not cremate as well. And so quickly, Lazarus was buried. Now, according to the custom of the day, as many people as possible would attend the funeral. When they walked to the grave following the body as it was carried, the women mourners would go first. And there's a very interesting reason why. Uh, let me insert before I say the reason why that uh, conservative Christianity has received a bad rap in its attitude toward women. In the day when Jesus lived in the Roman Empire, those who were native to that empire of Greek and Roman uh, influence considered women nothing more than personal property. The Jews also had a deficient idea of the value of womanhood. The reason that the women mourners went first was because it says in Genesis that Eve first sinned. She ate the forbidden fruit and gave it to her husband. And because her sin was first and death came into the world because of sin, it was appropriate that she first go to the grave and mourn. In its very beginnings through the writings of the Apostle Paul and through its early history, something brand new was said to the world about women. That was that in Christ they were the equal of every man. Christianity has received a bad rap at that point. So first, the women mourners went to the grave and all the others followed. Immediately after the burial, the mourners divided themselves and provided a corridor, and the family left the grave walking between the lines of mourners. Now, for three days, the family was left alone. For three days, no one came to the home. They respected the privacy. They left them alone with their thoughts. Food would be brought, but no conversation would be had. The family was totally exempt from any labor and all of their needs would be met, but no one would intrude on their sorrow. 
Now, when Jesus comes, it would have been the fourth day. Lazarus had been dead four days. And on the fourth day, it was a high and holy obligation of all the Jews to go and express their thoughts and their comfort to those who mourned. It was a sacred duty to them. Indeed, an ancient rabbi said that there was no duty on earth given to us higher than the duty to comfort those who were bereaved. So on the fourth day when Jesus came, the house would be full of people, so would the yard and the surrounding areas. And it was into this scene that he came. As we consider the sisters, know the dif- notice the difference. We have uh, met them before. We will meet them again. Martha, the older, was practical. She was a leader. She was very businesslike, very careful that all the details she was responsible for be carried out. Mary was more spiritual in a way. She was very emotional. She clung to those that she loved. She seems to have been gifted with delicacy, insight, and sensitivity. And Jesus comes to the sisters. Verse 20. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary sat still, or still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. The pain drove Martha to Jesus. For some reason, the pain held Mary back from Jesus. She loved him so devotedly she had made no peace with his delay. But oh, what a debt we do owe to that pain. During the years after his anointing and his uh, assumption of the kingship, David was on the run 12, 14, 16 years from Saul in danger of his life. For all of those years, he did not go home. For all of those years, he was looking over his shoulder. He became the leader of a ragtag band of misfits and malcontents. And yet, it was during those years that David wrote 
many of his most beautiful psalms. He would not have known the Lord as his rock and fortress if Saul had not been hunting him down. Israel would never have seen the Red Sea part if they were not threatened with imminent death by the armies of Egypt. It was after this, after this day later in the week of his death, that Mary broke the alabaster box. Sometimes the Lord allows us to suffer for the benefit of others. We are told that many believed because of what happened that day. He appeared neglectful to them, but he was not. There is not a sigh, there is not a tear, nor a pain, nor a fluttering pulse that escapes him. He sees and he feels everything that touches us, and when he comes, he will always do more than we asked. By the way, if you have heard, and if you've been listening to very much in the media or perhaps in books in other churches, you may have heard that when you get your faith right, God will do for you whatever you want Him to do. That when your needs are not met, when the miracle does not come, when the Lord does not move in a timely way, it is because your faith is defective. Let me be as kind as I can be about that. It's a bald-faced lie. When Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm arose on that mountain lake sitting down in a, a bowl-shaped valley at, uh, below sea level and the cold air rushed down to meet the warm air and the water began to wave. These lifelong professional fishermen were afraid for their lives and they shook him and they said, Lord, we are dying, don't you care? Now is that the cry of faith? Jesus rose and said, Peace, be still. And the waters lay down at his feet like a scolded puppy and the wind quit blowing. Mary and Martha said the same thing to Jesus. Of the verses that follow, she, Mary uses the same words as Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In the occasion in the boat, in this occasion, in most occasions, the Lord in His graciousness and love moves in spite of doubt, fear, and unbelief because of His love, not because of our faith. Now notice in verses 30 through 37, we get another look at their sorrow. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. 
saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When therefore Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said, Come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man from dying? The sorrow. Jesus shared their pain. He made himself responsible. He gathered up into his own person all of the misery resulting from sin, represented here in the dead man and in the broken-hearted family around him. G. Campbell Morgan says this was voluntary identification with the sorrow that comes from sin. It is a most remarkable unveiling of the heart of Jesus. Then he wept. What were those tears? I do not hesitate for a moment to interpret those tears. They were the tears of sympathy for Mary and Martha for all of the sorrow that is caused by sin and death. He wept. The words in this passage are very interesting. There are two terms applied to the Lord Jesus. The first one indicates that he groaned in his spirit. To say it literally uh, would be to say that he snorted like a horse. That first word when he, when he groaned was not a word of sorrow, it was a word of indignation. Jesus Christ did not see death as an insurmountable barrier like we do. He saw it as a call to battle. And when he faced death, he was indignant at what death and sin have done to humanity. And when he saw the weeping of the professional mourners around him, the empty cries of their tears, when he looked around him, he was indignant. But the second word is a word of sympathy that he felt for them. And then the shortest verse in our English Bible, as it says literally in the Greek, Jesus shed tears. Now it is a different word than the other word translated weeping in the passage. It was a duty to weep. There was a weeping voice, a way of mourning that was common and expected by all those who attended to the family. But the word here is different for the weeping of Jesus. It denotes something that is under control something that is soft, something that comes from the heart. The fact that Jesus Christ was God does not mean that he was cold and calculating and unconcerned about the things that affected people around him. Quite the opposite is true. Jesus knew Lazarus was about to come forth from the grave 
and yet still he was moved with concern and compassion for the family and their grief. Let me remind you that if you want to know what God is like, you need to look at Jesus Christ. Sometimes I fear a portrait is painted of God that He is the God revealed in the Old Testament, that He is stern, that He is old, that He is distant and detached, that He does not care, and somehow Jesus persuaded God to care. That's not true. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And if you would know what the great heart of the sovereign creator God is like, look at the verse, Jesus shed tears. He cries when you cry. The pain that you feel has first touched him. He mourns when you mourn. He is glad when you are happy. And He has promised that He will never leave you. The promise of God relative to our sorrow is not that nothing bad will ever happen. The promise is better. The promise is that no matter what happens, He will never leave us alone. Notice in verses 38 to 44... Here is the sign. The book of John is organized around miracles called signs. John wrote much later than the other gospel writers did. Only 8% of the material in the gospel of John is in the other gospels because this old man of the church reached back and wanted to share things that had not been written before. And he organized his book, the things that he shared around the great signs of Jesus. And every sign adds a piece to the puzzle of who he is and what he came to do. This is the last sign. This is the great sign. It demonstrates his deity. Jesus, therefore, again, deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did not I say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And I knew that you hear me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth, and note this, bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him or unbind him and let him go. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is not a resurrection, it is a resuscitation. 
Because when Lazarus came back, he came back just like he was before. He came back subject to sin, subject to sickness, subject to death. He would see death again. But he was raised fully to physical life. The Jews believed that the soul stayed near the body to say goodbye to family and friends for three days. And on the fourth day, the process of decay accelerated because the soul had departed. This is another reason for the delay that the Lord Jesus had. Because if he had raised Lazarus in the first three days, it would have been a great wonder to them, but they would have been able to rationalize that the soul was still nearby and God in his mercy let the soul stay and the body come to life. But he came when death was certified, both in their doctrine and in their sense of smell, at its worst because decay was proceeding and he was very obviously dead. He cried with a loud voice in order that the people on the hillside might hear. Only a word from him, no matter how soft, and Lazarus would have come forth. Something about the raising of Lazarus that is exciting is this. He spoke, and the elements of nature obeyed him instantly and totally. If he had not called Lazarus by name, every rotting corpse in the graveyard would have come out. So he called him by name. And at the sound of his voice, Lazarus came forth. The Jewish way of preparing the body for burial would have prevented Lazarus from walking even in short steps. They wound the body with spices under the fabric in long strips of cloth. They wound it very tightly starting at the shoulders, leaving the, the head bare, and all the way down to the end of the feet, they bound it tightly. And then they put a separate cloth around the head. Lazarus could not have walked, and the command of Jesus for Lazarus to come forth that recalled him to life that command brought him to the doorway, standing erect, so that they might unloose him, unbind him, and let him go. There is a lesson here. First there is life, then there is liberty. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. First life then liberty. Life is because of his voice. The light that brought us to him was his gracious gift to us. And the liberty 